0: So, this is a beautiful, beautiful morning in many, many ways. Um, the sun's shining bright out there. The community, if you didn't hear earlier, if you weren't here uh, for the Family Matters time, the community's gathering after church as a whole to join a larger city effort, which is called Spring Up to Clean Up, which is um, a way for us to go and clean up trash that's around the street. And doing it in a deeply Christian way, which is to say... That we believe that uh, the beauty of creation and its, its, its beauty, basically is the only word to say it, is a great window into God's character and his love. And when the world around us is trashed, it gives us this subtle message inside of our minds that we aren't really worth that much anyway. And so we look around and we do see the value of Christians in beautifying uh, the, the world in order to... to uh, proclaim this message that we have a creator God who's with us and, um, and people are worth much more than they oftentimes realize. So uh, invite all of us to, to jump in this afternoon. If you, don't know, um, if you don't know where to go or what it's about, there's a person at the booth back there who does. So feel free to go ask them. Um, and if this is your first time here this morning, this is also a really interesting morning for you to come because this is the final conclusion to a sermon series that was like 40 sermons long. So like I began in September and you're, you're coming for the final one, which is awesome because you're going to hear what... It was about. Uh, it's kind of. It's unfortunate if uh, if, you're, if this piques your interest, like, oh, well, I want to hear more of those. Well, good, good, uh, good enough. That that's okay. There's, uh, they're all podcasted online. You can find them online. Uh, but do I really think you're going to listen to forty some sermons? No. <laughs> no. But if you're interested, that's where they are. Uh, also, as this is our last week in the sermon series on Jesus, we've been spending a year with Jesus. Uh, we're also beginning next week and launching out into a new series, which is just going to be four weeks long, which is going to feel like, wow, that went by quick, comparatively. Uh, so we're going we're to launch into a sermon series on worship and what worship is and how to come to a space like this and, um, and enter into worship, how to enter into worship when you're by yourself How to enter into worship in a community and uh, publicly as well as privately. I'm not going to be driving that series. I'm not going to be being the one who's carrying that along. We're going to have one of my friends, uh, one of my good friends, her name is Jen Swift. She's a pastor down in Illinois. And she's going to come and spend two and a half weeks here with us as a sort of pastor in residence. Uh, She's a worship leader, an artist, and a wonderful human being, and I am excited for you guys to get to know her, and she's gonna be doing all four of the messages in June, which is gonna be great. She's not gonna be able to be with us here next week, um, so I'm like, well, how are we gonna do this? So she's actually video recording herself, um, preaching uh, the first week, and we'll watch the video next week. So anyway, I'm very excited about that. Um, I I may actually play a little role. She, She said, I can't get off the hook completely. Um, but I'm excited about that, and it'll be good. Good to enter into. So, final conclusion. How do I wrap up 42 sermons? Okay, like this. Here we go. Are you ready? Uh, it's going to be good. So, Jesus. We've been talking about Jesus this last these last many many months, and uh, the reason why is because he's the one we follow. He's our king. We believe he's as real. Even if, if not more real now than he was when he walked and lived on earth 2,000 years ago. And uh, that if we could just have eyes to see, we'd recognize just how present and close he is, even right now in this space. And we've, uh, we've talked about all of this and uh, how to enter into him, his presence, as well as what he was about. Because oftentimes we can just make Jesus about anything we want, we can make him into whatever kind of guy. We want him to be. We can uh, make him uh, in his teachings in, in, to say anything we want them to. Uh, but if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, and if we really devote ourselves to learning about him, we recognize that he's a challenging guy. He's an awesome guy, but super challenging to get to know and um, and to uh, to follow. And so we've talked about Jesus as both uh, two two big things in his life. He was a healer. He did amazing healings, not just just physical healings, but personal healings and emotional healings, and he went around and found the the people who were at the hardest place of their lives and touched them, and touched them deeply in a way that brought them to health and to to freedom and to uh, newness of life. He wasn't just a, a healer, he was also a rabbi, which means he was a teacher, one of the greatest teachers the world has ever, ever known. And so as he, we, as he teaches, as we hear kind of the really hard teachings that he has, because if we, have, if we listen, the teachings really get us. They get us out of the very vulnerable places. They're hard teachings. Uh, but we recognize that he's always teaching his hard teachings in order to bring healing in us, to, to release us, to free us, to wash us, to teach us how to love not only was he a healer and a rabbi, he was also a political leader. He was running a political campaign, and, and this, this last uh, month and a half, we know what that looks like, to see someone running a political campaign with placards in yards and commercials and sound bits. He was, uh, in his day and age, he would have been understood as someone going around on a campaign, saying that through him, the kingdom of God is going to um, come on earth, and uh, that if... if if we want to be part of what God is doing, we're going to be part of what Jesus is doing. So he was like a politician on a campaign, a healer and a rabbi. Uh, but he's going to what his platform was going to be was something new. He wasn't just going to put some lanes in the highway, and he's not just going to bring certain things into the city. He's going to defeat evil and death. And he's going to make the world a new place. Like that's the size, the worldwide scope of his vision. So, uh, and not just to make the world a great place, but to see every single human being in it, free and whole and full of love. And so we get this idea that he's a politician, he's a leader, he's a king. But as we talked about last week, he's also a groom. Imagine that, a new groom, someone who... Is like the best lover in all of the universe. You imagine someone on that platform. I want to, to, to lead your city, and I'm also going to be like your groom. Okay, <laughs> that's a bit weird, but deep. Um, so, uh, the the way he went about doing this was talking in parables. But the most profound way he wanted to describe and to give evidence to what he was talking about was that he died. It's a hard picture. He died on a cross. He gave himself up freely. And he, wasn't, he didn't just suffer. He said all along, I'm, I'm not just suffering. I'm not just, I'm suffering for you. This is somehow for you. And so the last, as we talked about over Easter, the last few uh, days of his life were filled with so much suffering, so much brokenness. His body, you know, we, we, we come to this table with the bread and the juice, because we remember on the night before he, he died, he broke bread in a symbolic way to say, my body is going to be broken for you. I'm not just making this up about me being the best king in all of the universe. I'm going to be broken for you, and my blood is going to be shed for you. And so as, as he went away from that meal, the final meal, he was bound, he was taken to jail by the authorities. For, and for anyone who's ever been afraid of authorities and the police coming down on you hard and unfairly. Jesus knows what that's like. Uh, He was unfairly condemned in trial. For those who have ever been in a courtroom situation and have been unfairly condemned or in any relationship, if you've been unfairly condemned, Jesus died and suffered that for you too. On the cross, he was shamed and mocked. For anyone who's ever been shamed and anyone who's ever experienced shame, He suffered shame for you. He knows what that's like. Uh, And not only that, but then on the cross, he took on the full weight of all of the death and the evil of the world. Um, And he did that for you. And then we recognize that because of that, because of his outstretched arms, then he frees us to be everything that we were originally meant to be, the type of person God, um, God made us to be. So, uh, he's our our groom, he's our leader, he's the one who said, if you want to know the heart of my message, if you want to understand it well, look at the cross. Uh, And he said it, he said it many times, but the cross gives evidence to this particular thing. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And we get this this realization through his teaching and through his example and through what happened on the cross that part of relating with Jesus is receiving. Receiving the, um, the love which he had for us. And that's where the groom imagery, Jesus being a groom, really helps us out. He's like a groom who washes us clean, who cares for us, who dies for us. But uh, one other way of understanding devotion to Jesus is through shared suffering. We're not only supposed to receive the gifts of his suffering, but we're as well supposed to learn how to suffer. And I said last week, and I'll say it again, that devotion to Jesus is like the thing that we're left with. After all of this teaching, after all of these things, there's only one thing that we're left with, is this call to be devoted to Jesus, and last week I talked about the a groom, a marriage imagery as a good way to remember how to be devoted. And, but this week, it's about the suffering. Uh, and, and Christians for many, many thousands of years have understood that to be devoted to Jesus involves the suffering. And it's the hardest part of following Jesus, as you can imagine, as you know. Uh, but he, he's, he's, he says this, the suffering isn't like just needless pointless pain. The world is full of pointless pain. But when you suffer and when you're in me, I'm going to teach you a way to find your life. All the things that you want and all the things that you always hoped for and desired come through losing your life. So devotion to Jesus through receiving his his love as our new groom and then devotion to Jesus by entering into suffering uh, in a certain way. So, uh, and, and he, he teaches a lot about this. And if we, if we put it all together, he, his teachings, if you read all of his teachings, they, they talk about this over and over again, how to do this, why this is freedom, why losing your life is actually the way to find it. And he comes up with this a beautiful parable about a seed that goes in soil and goes in different soils, but one of the soils that it goes in, it's like a seed going into a soil and it was rich soil and it was good and it has roots and it's going down deep, but it comes up and gets choked out by thorns. And the thorns are like the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. If you want to save your life, you will lose it. But those of us who go after our own cares, our own, try to, try to take care of our own worries and our own strength and power, try to go after the, the riches and pleasures of the world, it's like you're going to lose your life that way. You're going to get choked by thorns, Jesus is saying. And so we talked about consumerism for a lot of sermons and how that works and how we're so busy and stretched in life and overwhelmed and overscheduled. And I'm, you know, I'm for the, I put my hand up as someone who gives way to that so much um, that we um, that the, our own self-giving and the own way that we that we um, fulfill our own desires is like uh, cast a shadow on our whole life of discipleship, and that uh, self giving and and giving our love away without uh, a need for it to be returned is like what Jesus is asking for. Uh, that there was sort of this forgiveness, this deep unnatural forgiveness which says to others, you don't owe me anymore. The things that you owe me are, um, are it's so different than our own set of sort of kind of boundary making and in ways that we sort of hold on to the wrongs that have been done against us um, and how consumerism sort of lulls us to sleep um, and all of this along the way Jesus is teaching. He, he knows, This is human nature. This is not just Us in this day and age, this is human nature. And he's teaching us a way, a whole way of being, which is losing your life, the losing your life way, which is devotion to God, which is simplicity, which is service, which is cross bearing, which is we don't have to be the greatest and best in everything. We don't have to have the greatest and best place of living. We don't have to have the greatest and best relationship. We don't have to have the greatest and best. Good in life is good enough. And he's teaching us to be careful about that slip into wanting to be the best in everything you do and have the best. And so words like service and simplicity and poverty become the ways that Jesus says, this is the way to true life. And how we, we, we can look now on all the disgusting, disfigured, dirty things of the world and instead of recoiling and ignoring, we, we learn how to wash them, wash the feet, of, of wash dirty feet, so to speak. And, um, and so if, if that's sort of the, 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 your personal life, how, how the hard teaching of the cross comes to your personal life, then the community and how we do this thing together is just as challenging. Uh, church can be a confusing and lonely place. Even though we believe that the living presence of God is here, the things that we get about as a community can be hard because we can feel lonely and isolated and disconnected. Um, and we, can, we, we, we come in here with smiles on our face and we have sort of some, you know, kind of put ourselves together. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we, look, we can look past all of that and see that every person in here probably feels lonely or hurt or isolated in a certain way. And how we learn, therefore, just like the early disciples after Jesus was resurrected, we learn to be vulnerable and to trust one another. And to come to a place um, where we can find small groups of people with whom we can, we can share our heart and share our heartbreaks. And that's what home groups are for in a church of this size, is to be with people who you may not necessarily choose as close friends and people who you may not necessarily have chemistry with. But here's the great, the great teaching for, for Jesus. Um, God is the great other. He's the person that we don't know nat- naturally how to relate with. He's different than us. His ways are above our ways. And so in order to relate to God, to this other, we need to learn to relate closely with people who we wouldn't necessarily choose or who don't necessarily feel that jive with. And in that process of community, that self-giving Self-sacrificing community, when we give our life away to others, we finally find it. We finally find what it's about. Um, and how, you know, you know, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that, that self-giving, self-sacrificial love becomes the thing, the DNA, which knits this thing together. And how do we do that? How do we let other people be others and not? Uh, imposing upon them what we want upon them. So, anyway, that's a lot of sermons worth of stuff to go back and listen to. Um, But ultimately, as as we close down this series, we come to Jesus asking this question. You ask us to be self-sacrificial. You ask us to follow you and lose our life so that we can find it. What does that mean? How do we do that? How do we end up um, getting there? And so I wanted to... um, Going to get here through a couple of verses and then through one of one of Jesus' disciples who found intimacy with him through suffering. Uh, you remember James and John, they're like, we want to be the greatest and best. So a couple of verses here. Uh, Jesus says, Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? It's a mouthful of baptism. But Jesus is saying listen, listen, uh, baptism is more than you think. Jesus said the cup that I'm I drink, will you you drink it? And with the baptism with which I am baptized, will you be baptized? But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And in all of this, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me truly, you're going to suffer. If you're going to join up with me and be my disciple, it's not going to be easy. Uh, I'm about to die on the cross. And that's about what it's going to take for you too. And uh, in Acts 14, Paul, he's preaching, he gets stoned, he almost dies. And re- remember this beautiful phrase from the book of Acts? If you haven't read the book of Acts, it's the story of all of the apostles, the, the, what they did after Jesus died and was resurrected. After they had proclaimed the good news to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, then on to Iconium and Antioch. There they strengthened the souls of the disciples and encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying, it is through much suffering that we must enter the kingdom of God. And so if we think that suffering is like a mark that God hates us or that um, we've done something wrong, we haven't yet fully taken it and, di- and digested, that suffering is part of the deal. It's part of the Christian deal. It's, it's actually part of the human story. But Christians learn how to suffer and do it in a way that joins it up to the cross and ends up creating the new world with it. So do uh, you remember if you've, read, if you've read the last book of the Bible, it's called Revelation. It's a really weird book. If you read it, you're kind of, you, sometimes you might go, why is this in the Bible? Uh, it's, it's filled with lots of imagery, and we're not always sure exactly what it's talking about. Uh, but it was written by one of Jesus' disciples, likely, the disciple John. He was probably what, the only disciple who didn't die a violent death. I mean, the disciples all followed Jesus, and they all deserted him when he died, but then they got the Holy Spirit, and Jesus taught them again, and they got it. And they went out, and most of them likely died a violent death. They recognized that suffering was the deal. But John, uh, John the brother of James, one of the guys who wanted the greatest positions in the kingdom, uh, lives probably to a very old age, and he ends up getting a vision that Jesus, Jesus uh, shows up to him in a vision, and tells him to, do, to write a bunch of stuff. Now, it's not, and it's not just that he got out, got out of jail free card. I mean, he's suffering too in his own way. He's exiled by himself on this island for being a Christian. So Jesus shows up to him in this lonely spot and begins speaking. And this is what he says. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, that means Jesus showed up to me, which God gave him to show his servants what soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And Jesus says, I am the Alpha, I'm the beginning, and the Omega and the end. I encompass the whole creation, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. And John says, I, John, I'm your brother here, uh, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance. I'm suffering too was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He says, I was in the spirit, which means he was praying on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to seven churches. So here he is at the end of his life, recognizing that fellowship with Jesus, devotion to Jesus meant suffering. He's he's in the suffering of it all, and he's going to he gets this, this vision of that Jesus is going to speak to him, and he's going to write seven letters to seven different churches. And if you've ever read these letters, they're hard to read because uh, on the one hand, Jesus is saying, look, I'm seeing you. I know what's going on in your churches. I'm watching. I'm with you. But there's some problems. <laughs> you've, you've kind of wandered away from me, and I'm going to bring you back. And so... Um, one of, yeah, one of the biggest things that we recognize here, this is going to be a list of things to read. This is chapters two and three of Revelation. I've just kind of condensed it for us. Go and read it if you're interested. The last book of the Bible, chapters two and three. Jesus is going to tell them many things in there, but he's saying, look, first of all, I know what you're up to. I'm watching you. I'm with you. He says, some of you have abandoned me I am your first love, and you loved me at first, but some of you have abandoned me. But you're following false people, false prophets, people saying things that sound wise but really aren't. You're stubborn. You're self-deceptive. You have the appearance that you're alive, but you're dead. You're self-reliant. You think you are rich, but you're poor, blind, and naked. Okay, imagine Jesus showing up, and being like, hmm, grassroots, like, I see what you're doing, and (laughs) stubborn, self-deceptive, self-reliant. Ouch. I don't, I don't think that's exactly what he'd say to us, hopefully. Uh, but this is what he's saying to these churches. And he, but at the same time, he's saying, it says, I know this is a mixed bag. Suffering isn't easy. Being, being on the road of self-denial is the most unnatural thing you can do. So he's proud of many things. He sees faith, hope, and love growing in the community. He's seeing patience and endurance um, He sees them people coming around and claiming authority, and they're not just believing in it. They're testing it. They're trying to discern whether these people are truly authorities. There's some that aren't growing weary. They're not denying their faith. Some have great works. They're doing great things. And it may seem small, things that may seem insignificant, but the good works will increase. He says, and though you have little power in your life, you have not denied me. This is what Jesus is saying to his, his followers. And I put this, this picture up. It's kind of a weird one to look at, but this is the earliest, uh, what is it? It's like a cartoon which is making fun of Christians. The earliest one that we have, probably in the first hundred years. And it says this, Alexandios, something like that. Alexanios. This is, this is um, Latin is worshiping his God. So this is a Christian, and this is Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus is a fool. This is the, what the earliest earliest uh, Romans and, and Greeks were saying when they heard about Jesus. Why would you worship someone who got killed on a cross? That's foolishness. This whole way of being, this whole self-sacrifice, just join in the culture. Join in uh, Caesar's empire. Join in how it's easy Um, But no, some people are taking this seriously and following this donkey of a man, Jesus, who died on the cross. And and as I put this up here, I was was actually going to try to put up the the images of the different disciples getting killed. (laughs) I thought that would be a little too graphic and too much. But listen, this is the type of scorn and shame and humiliation that they were feeling as Christians This is what was being tossed at them. Your Lord, your groom, your political leader, we killed him on a cross, and yet you're still worshiping him. But Peter, Peter gets martyred in his life. He gets crucified upside down. He goes off and does ministry all across the known ancient world. And then uh, because of his preaching about Jesus... Eventually, they, some people decide they're going to crucify him, too, because it's foolish, and they're going to shame him. And Peter says, don't crucify me right side up. I'm not worthy of Jesus. I rejected him, remember. And it's crucify me upside down, and so they gave him. In. And so Peter was killed, crucified upside down. Peter's brother, Andrew, went through up, up into Russia and Ukraine, and he was crucified, too, for his preaching about a crucified God. He was crucified on a saltier, which is like a, this kind of cross. They bound him up like this, and they tied him with ropes so that he would die slowly. And as he was dying of starvation, he was preaching the gospel to anyone who would walk by. And I like Andrew because one of his thumbs or a relic of his his body was brought to the east coast of Scotland, which is where St. Andrew's is, and that's the university I went to, St. Andrew's. Um, and their 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 image is the saltire, the the cross. So, uh, Andrew's brother Peter gets crucified as well. James, John's brother, you know, John writing the book of of Revelation, his brother James gets killed um, by a sword. We know that and f- read that from the book of Acts. He's the first one to die. Um, we let's see where where else. Philip, his disciple, gets hung upside down for preaching the gospel with iron hooks through his ankles and he gets killed. Um, Bartholomew, who's also known as Nathaniel, uh, he's either beheaded or cast into the sea in a sack. Thomas, he gets a spear through him in India. Matthew, uh, we don't, don't, it's a bit foggy about what ended up with Matthew. He may have lived to be an old man or went down to Ethiopia and was stabbed by a sword. James, son of Alphaeus, crucified when he was 94 years old. Thaddeus, James, son of Judas, crucified uh, in Lebanon with Simon the Zealot, crucified together, likely. Um, And the list goes on, right? For preaching the gospel, for being a Christian, it involves suffering. And uh, we shouldn't be surprised as we go through it. It's part of the deal. But it's not just suffering. It's not just looking like a donkey in the world. Not like looking like a fool. It's not just Uh, not just that, but there's something deeper. As we join our suffering and join our heartbreak and join the hard things up to Jesus, up to his cross, something happens. And I love this quote from uh, this guy named Dominic Serrano. He says, when we intentionally unite our sufferings with Jesus, when we consciously offer up our imperfect sacrifice with his perfect sacrifice, suffering moves beyond the mere endurance of pain. If we allow it, It can be a true path to holiness, enabling God to heal us through our woundedness. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. More a process than an event, we begin to see, perhaps ever so slowly at first, that our suffering isn't a curse, but a gift. It's not an impediment to the intimate union with our Lord, but a means to draw us so close, or a means that God uses to draw so close to us, That in our suffering, his loving presence brings about the deepest kind of healing. Um, Being devoted to Jesus uh, through suffering. Uh, The the way of the cross, friends, isn't just about persecution. It is that. There are plenty of people getting killed for their faith around the world. Uh, But it's also about taking everything from the deepest persecution to the smallest disappointment in our life. That's the range of suffering. I was with someone, they're like, well, can we really say we're suffering as Christians if we're not being killed, crucified, hooked up by our ankles and brutally killed? Uh, suffering ranges from that all the way down to our, our disappointments, the things that, that we want so much about our life to be true, but, we, but for whatever reason they haven't come and they haven't turned out to be right or true. And um, that's the range of suffering. And some of us may end up being crucified and killed. Some of That may happen to someone in this room. I'm not, I'm not speaking that over anyone. But it may happen. Um, it does happen. But for others, it may be look, look a lot more like um, taking everything which amounts to pain, anything which causes you pain, and learning to lift it up to God, And just say, God, through this pain, I'm joining you in your suffering. And so John continues. He he writes to seven churches. He writes letters to them. And uh, I'm just going to read to one church here because this is the kind of thing that Jesus ends up saying to those who are devoted to him. To the angel of the church in Laodicea. So this church in Laodicea. Jesus says, write this. The words of the amen. That's Jesus the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold, so, but, so because you are um, lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy gold from me, refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and to salve and anoint the eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I'm standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You're suffering. You're suffering, don't let that drive you away from me. Don't let that drive you to hate me. Your suffering can be the very thing through which I can come and heal you. So he's saying, be faithful unto death. Don't fear the suffering. Some of you are gonna face prisons. But well, here's the thing, lamps, lampstands can be removed. Churches can be removed from, from fellowship with Jesus. And some former believers will end up warring with Jesus. That's part of what's going to happen. And Jesus says, whatever you sow in this life, I will give you over to that. But listen, if you hear my voice today, if you hear my voice saying I'm real, I'm, I'm the one to whom creation came, don't turn away from my voice. Remember who you once were. Start doing the works you did then. Wake up from the edge of death. Repent. Like, tell him you're sorry and find a friend to repent if that's you. Buy gold from him, which is to say, take my wisdom and not the wisdom which you've been following. And clean up your life. Wife the junk from your eyes and be steadfast. I think this is this is how we can get sometimes when when we when we reject the suffering when we think that God hates us, and He's trying to sort of just sort of beat down upon us. We can reject Him. And he's saying, "Don't listen to that way. That's not my way." One of the greatest examples of someone who did this well was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. down in, in uh, the south of the United States. Just take a little, little little read here from what he had to say. He he got this so profoundly. Understood this? I'm going to read a, a a quote, and then it's going to end up with this quote. So just look at the picture if you need to. He says, "Some of my personal sufferings over the last few years have also served to shape my thinking. I always hesitate to mention these experiences for fear of conveying the wrong impression. A person who person who constantly calls attention to his trials and sufferings is in danger of developing a martyr complex and making others feel that he is consciously seeking sympathy." It is possible for one to be self-centered in his self-denial and self-righteous in his self-sacrifice. So I'm always reluctant to refer to my personal sacrifices, but I feel somewhat justified in mentioning them in this article because of the influence they've had in shaping my thinking. Due to my involvement in the struggle for the freedom of my people, I have known very few quiet days in the last few years. I've been arrested five times and put in Alabama jails. My home has been bombed twice. A day seldom passes that my family and I are not the recipients of threats of death. I have been the victim of a near fatal stabbing. So in a real sense, I have been battered by the storms of persecution. I must admit that at times I have felt that I could no longer bear such a heavy burden and have been tempted to retreat to a more quiet and serene life. But every time such a temptation appeared something came to strengthen and sustain my determination. I have learned now that the master's burden is light precisely when we take his yoke upon us. My personal trials have also taught me the value of unmerited suffering. As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways that I could respond to my situation, either to react with bitterness or to seek to transform the sufferings into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course. Recognizing the necessity for uh, suffering, I have tried to make it a, a virtue, if only to save myself from bitterness. I have attempted to see my personal ordeals as an opportunity to transform myself and heal the people involved in the tragic situation which now obtains. I have lived these last few years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. And so we know that it was through this way, this understanding of the power of unearned suffering and the redemptive suffering that's involved that Martin Luther King and the group that he was involved with uh, was able to break the bonds of evil in the States. That's the power of suffering. And of course, he he was... Martyred, he was killed, shot dead before the movement ended, which the movement still goes on. Um, But it took a decisive turn with him. So he says this in conclusion, there are some who still find the cross a stumbling block. Feels like a foolish donkey that we're worshiping. And others consider it foolishness. But I am more convinced than ever before that it is the power of God unto social and individual salvation. So like the apostle Paul, I can now humbly yet proudly say I bear in my body marks for the Lord. Many, many Christians, many people throughout um, history, many Christians throughout history have found devotion to Jesus and the power of suffering. And so um, if, if, if all of Jesus' teachings in Romans, Revelation 2 through 3 seem hard, he says this, don't shy away from the sufferings, but here's Here's the reward, life, not death. Lavish gifts, honor, power with love. Justice, I'll give you justice, retribution and rest. You're gonna eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. I'm gonna give you the crown of life and you'll be secure away from the second death which is coming. Gifts, hidden manna, a white stone with a new name. I'm gonna give you the morning star. I'm gonna give you a crown. You're gonna become an eternal pillar in the temple of God. You'll get a tattoo of God's name on you. And Jesus' new name. Jesus is going to have a new name, apparently. And it will be tattooed upon everyone. Um, White clothes. Meals there. No more burdens than safety. So Jesus offers quite a bit in return for the suffering. And, of course, a lot of these are just sort of metaphors. But they must mean there's going to be something good. If that's that's the description. Um, But we end here, finally with this, uh, where we began, with Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, proclaiming himself king after having spent three years teaching some of the most profound teaching in all of the world, healing uh, with some amazing power, and with, with this message, I'm calling a group of people together to follow me and to change the world, even if it feels like you're losing your life. And today, as we come forward to the table and take his broken body once again and dip it into the juice as a reminder of what he's done for us and just how he's begun this thing, I'm going to read for us what he says on this fateful day as he's riding in to Jerusalem. And we'll invite everyone forward here uh, to partake in, in this. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives... The whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones themselves would shout out. So the table is set. And everyone here is welcome.